0: kind of church I seek to lead would not only ask what would Jesus do, and it, in that question we kind of look back at the life of Christ, and in a sense it's past tense, and if we can see what Jesus did, then maybe we'll know what to do. And I'm all there, but I think another question should be added to that, and that's what is Jesus doing? Because he is alive and he is working. What is Jesus doing? And that then defines the activity of God. And as his church, if we can get involved in the activity of God, we then don't ask him to bless what we're doing. We're involved in what he's already blessing. We're involved in what he's doing. We're involved in the plan of God rather than creating plans and saying, Lord, could you bless our plans? we are in the flow, and there's a powerful verse, and none of this has to do with the sermon, but I'm just sharing my heart with you as we grow together as a church, that there's a verse that Jeremiah said, he said, you need to learn how to pray for rain in the time of rain. And I thought, that's interesting. And and as I've unpacked that challenge Praying for rain in the time of rain is, if God is sending rain and you're praying for rain, you're getting involved and your prayer is aligning with what God is doing. So I don't want to create plans and say, Lord, would you come and rain on our plans? Lord, we're going to need your help. Uh, We've created all of this. Now, can you hopefully bless it? But that our heart and our spiritual ears would be attuned to what the Spirit of God is saying... And that we are working according to the plan of God, therefore we're praying for rain in the time of rain. So so we're involved in the activity of God, therefore we feel the energy of God. I'm excited as different ones are saying to me things like, Pastor, I feel like there's a shift happening in my heart. There's a shift happening in the church. I, I feel there's a stirring. Different words are being used. And I'm excited about that kind of language because I think what it is is that we're, we're, we're getting in step with God as a church and we're getting a hold of the plan of God. The plan of God is always going to be about people. It's always going to be about getting the gospel to people. It's going to be about our neighbor across the street and our neighbor across the world. And anytime we focus on a passion for God and a desperation for the Spirit of God to be among the people of God so that we can minister to people, then the Lord is going to smile on that. He is going to be attentive to the prayers of that kind of church. So I lead you back today to the book of James. The book of James, still in chapter 2. And and I want us to see see this important word. James chapter 2, make sure you reach for your copy of the scripture, because we're going from James to the book of Luke, the book of Mark, And allow these passages to set the message. James chapter 2. And today our focus is verse 15 and 16. Are you ready? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing. So there is the situation. And you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. Here's the question. What good does that do? With that thought in mind, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10. Luke was a doctor. He, he wrote with an accuracy and a precision of the Lord. And I want you to see this incredible passage, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30. And the Bible says, Jesus replied with a story. What is he replying to? He's replying to a question. What is the question? Who is my neighbor? So Jesus said there was a Jewish man who was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him going over to him the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn when he took care of him where he took care of him the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him take care of this man if his bill runs higher than this I'll pay you the next time I'm here Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, yes, yes. Now, go and do the same, knowing that James is all about hearing the word and doing it. We see this lived out in Luke 10. Now, would you turn and let's go to Mark chapter 10. One last passage in Mark chapter 10. We'll start reading at verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Well, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Let's pray. Lord, we've read the Scripture. Now, may this Scripture be planted deep in our hearts so that it brings about change. May we be as open as we could possibly be for the word to sink deep in our heart, to impact the way we think, impact the way we live, so that we're more like you and we become the, the church that is at its best with the world at its worst. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give illustration to set the message. I recently was in a hotel room, and as I shut the door, I saw what I normally see in a room like that, and that is the little card that you can put on the door that says, Do Not Disturb. And I knew as I saw it, there was also just this this gripping of my heart. You know how the, the Spirit of God will put a leading in your heart. He will grip your heart. He will grab your focus, your attention, because He's wanting to deal with you. It was one of those moments And I was looking at that sign that said, do not disturb. I thought about how the flow of the day moves you to a place where you don't want inconvenience. You don't want disturbance. You see disturbance and inconvenience as intruders. And so it's such a blessing to be able to say, leave me alone. And the Spirit of God dealt with me and said, are you going to be the kind of follower and lead the kind of church that hangs a sign on your heart that says, please disturb me? Inconvenience me. Or will you lead the kind of life and the kind of church that ultimately will post a sign that says, do not disturb? James... ...is a powerful, clear, direct preacher of the Word of God... ...and he sets up faith that has to be followed through with action... ...or there is no faith. And he spends many ways in chapter 2 illustrating that point. One is, suppose someone knocked on your door... They're hungry, they need clothing, and you say, hey, good to see you, Uh, hope it goes well with you, go on your way, eat and be well, and and you don't offer, you don't do anything, and we've kind of unpacked that for three weeks, and I want you to see it from one angle. The scripture is like a jewel, and and you can turn it, it's so many-faceted, and you see different truths, and I'm turning the jewel of James 2 today to just see we must be willing to be inconvenienced or we will never respond with the river of mercy that is within us as the people of God that can minister to people in need. So here's this man who's on his way to Jericho and these bandits beat him up and leave him bloodied and dying. And here comes the priest And it says, as the priest approached the man, seeing the man, the priest crossed over to the other side of the road and passed on. Then the temple assistant, known as the Levite, he comes walking. He sees the man and he moves over to the other side. These are the two that you would expect to do something to help the man. You see, if you study it, they've just come from church. That was their assignment. And so now, having come from church, they see a man in need, just like James saying, suppose there's a person in need. Would you cross over on the other side of the road and just go on your way thinking that that is true faith? And then the Samaritan comes by. And the New Living Translation uses the word unlikely, Uh, this person that you would never expect. And it says, of him seeing the man, he crossed over to where the man was. Then he kneels down beside the man and begins to minister to him, tries to uh, bandage the wounds, uses some of his oil and, and resources He takes his time. He then takes the man to this place of care and says, Look, I've got to go, but here's some money. And if it costs more than what I've given you, when I return, I will take care of the bill. Now, the the Samaritan was not on the road to Jericho looking for someone to minister to. He, He did not gather up resources and say, I'm going out today and I'm going to find somebody in need. No, he was doing his day in the normal flow of his day but he shows us that he was willing unlike the priest and the levite to be inconvenienced he was willing to be disturbed it seemed that the priest and the levite had the do not disturb sign on their heart but the samaritan was willing to be inconvenienced he was willing to be disturbed to the point that he ministered to the man with his time. He ministered to the man with his resources. He then changed his schedule to take the man to a place of care, stayed all night, left the next day having left his, like his credit card and said, look, anything that's above what I've already paid, just charge it. I'll take care of it. I want us to see this, that there's just a major simple point in how inconvenient that was in how he gave time he wasn't expecting to give, money he wasn't expecting to give, and altered his schedule. In this present culture that we are living in, it it architects the thought process of convenience and protection and isolation, and there are organizations where we hope are ministering to the hurting, and the needy, but we if we aren't careful, we don't want to be disturbed. We must be the kind of church that the Lord can disturb and inconvenience. All right, let's add the next passage. Jesus and his followers, Mark 10 says, had had a full day of ministry, A very, very busy day, and now it's at the end of the day, and he and a large crowd are going to move on, and it's the close of the day. So the, the schedule has been met, and while Jesus is moving along, this one man begins to call out. He's blind, and he's calling out to the Son of David to have mercy. All of the other followers are saying, don't disturb him. Don't inconvenience him. Be quiet. The man keeps shouting. And we see Jesus, who had had a very full day, stopping the entire processional and saying, go get that man and bring him to me. Jesus didn't pass him by like the priest or the Levite. Jesus was like the Good Samaritan. Remember, the whole Good Samaritan question is, Who is my neighbor? They're trying to get an answer to that. And what we learn by the Good Samaritan story is that our neighbor is the one for whom it will take inconvenience in order to minister to. It will disturb the normal routine. It will disturb the budget. It will disturb the time management. It will disturb the direction in which my life was going in order to really be a lover of my neighbor. Jesus models that in Mark chapter 10 when he ministers to the blind man and and it shows us the value of one person. Jesus always modeled that the one matters to him. Jesus could have said, look at this huge crowd Why would I stop? Matter of fact, when the lady with the issue of blood pressed through the incredible crowd to touch the hem of his garment, Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? His disciples said, there are so many people around here. We can't possibly know who touched you. Jesus was concerned with that one touch of desperation. Jesus gave us Luke 15 about the shepherd leaving the 99 to go find the one. Here is Bartimaeus, one man, and Jesus puts the value on even one person. And then it's interesting, he's healed, and it says that Bartimaeus then joined the church. It says he joined that crowd, and he's with Jesus. See, here's the blessing of when we allow God to disturb us and inconvenience us, and we let his mercy flow. Lives are changed, and then sitting among us will be new stories of redemption and miracles can you imagine the crowd as jesus is walking along now there's a man who was blind but has his sight don't you know that energized the crowd don't you know his story can you imagine what happened to their their passionate worship you see as we become ministers of mercy and say go ahead lord inconvenience me Lord, disturb me. I, I'm not going to live my Christian life with a do not disturb sign over my heart and over my time and over my resources. We're going to be a church that says, Lord, inconvenience us. Then prepare that in this gathering, you're going to see those who, like Bartimaeus, will say, I once was blind, but now I can see. I once was lost, but now I'm It's going to be the story of a life rewritten by the mercy of God through the people of God, all for the glory of God. Now, isn't that the kind of church we want to be? Go ahead, Lord. Disturb me. This is such a convicting word to me because, you know, the busier life gets, the more we want to control it, the more we want to order it and And we get these interruptions and the unknown hits the schedule and we get the disequilibrium starts happening and we get frustrated when maybe, when maybe that's when we're most like Jesus. Go ahead, Lord, disturb me. Interrupt me. Inconvenience me. Can I give you a, a, a practical experiment to try this week? I like messages where we can just hear this simple challenge and then we can do it. So, Here is the challenge. Don't ever underestimate the power of a small act of kindness that was inconvenient. Because it just may lead to a miracle. Here is blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus was willing to minister to him and a miracle happened. Maybe what's between us and the miracle power of God is a willingness to be disturbed. Because the power is in us, the mercy is in us, the Spirit of God is in us, God in us, the hope of glory. We're just an earthen vessel, but in these earthen vessels is the treasure, Jesus Christ. And when I am disturbed and inconvenienced to minister to someone hurting and needy, the mercy and the power of God flows and a miracle happens. So never underestimate one small act of kindness even if it's inconvenient because it'll probably lead to a miracle. So here would be a challenge. Why not 15 minutes a day for the next seven days say, Lord, inconvenience me at least 15 minutes a day. And it doesn't even have to be at one time. So therefore, it could be an act of kindness such as smiling at someone. Even a smile in this culture can make a difference. A good word an encouraging word, a compliment. See, when you, when you take the time to compliment somebody, you've stopped long enough to find what you can compliment. You were willing to be disturbed in, your, in, in the thinking of yourself long enough to think of someone else and to encourage them. Open the door for someone. When you're going to Starbucks and you pull through the drive-thru, say, hey, Here's a $10 bill. Put it on, on the tab of the person behind me. And that will get them a half a cup of coffee. <laughs> Acts of kindness. Acts of kindness. See, when we do the routine of life with this heart, Lord, disturb me. Lord, inconvenience me. I'm looking for where I can serve versus going through my day. And and have you ever felt like the priest, it's like you know God was dealing with you, but you're like, if I don't look, then maybe it's like I didn't see it. And you know you see the opportunity. And the Lord is saying, this is such an opportunity. And you're like, Lord, it's inconvenient. I'm busy. I have a lot to do. It's like I'm a pastor. Pastor. I'm a Christian, Lord. Yeah. And Christianity wears a please disturb me sign. and inconvenience me. Can you imagine the impact of the church that says, go ahead, Lord, inconvenience us. Inconvenience us. So I want to challenge you this week. Start today. Find ways to serve in ways that inconvenience you, that disturb you. there's a man who got more emails in a day that he could answer and he had more work to do than he could do in a day and he just became quite depressed in in the grind he just felt like he was on the treadmill of life and he made a choice to take a certain portion of his day three days a week and instead of going on his normal lunch hour he would go to a local school and he would serve he was a He was in computer technology, so he went into the computer lab, and he served in teaching kids how to do research. He taught them about computers. He taught them about hard drives and software and all of these things, and he says that's where he recovered his life. He said, what felt at first, the very thought of doing that, it's like, are you kidding, Lord? Do you not see all of these emails? Do you not see all of these demands? Don't you see how busy I am? And he realized that when he served, and here's what he said, Proverbs says, it feels good to do good. And when he went and served those kids, getting nothing in return but that sense of he had added value, as he was doing good, a goodness came into his heart. And he went back and looked at all of the to-do list that was way too long, but had a whole different perspective, and didn't feel like he was just in the rat race, in the grind, and on the treadmill of life. He felt like his life was making a difference. He says, now I know how to manage this life. Here's what I'm saying. Lord, bring some divine discomfort to us. Divine discomfort. Here is what I'm saying, that in this present day, there is a script. It's almost epidemic. And the, and the battle cry coming off of this script says, there's not enough to go around. And we look at the pie of life. And every time someone takes a piece of pie, we think, oh, no, there's one less piece. And so we get the attitude of this American culture is, I've got to get Mine. Got to take care of myself. And then the Holy Spirit comes in the midst of the church and calls us to others, to be other-centered with our time and with our money. And And it comes right into conflict with that inner thinking of this American culture. But Lord, if I give, it's going to take another piece of the pie. And the government's taking their piece, and it's a huge piece, and it's only getting more, and... Lord, I've got to get a hold of mine. And it's a scarcity mentality. And here's the way I think we attack the scarcity mentality. This mantra of there's not enough to go around is to say, Lord, disturb me. Lord, inconvenience me. And when, when I minister out of inconvenience, I learn that there is an endless supply of the love, power, provision, and mercy of God. It's counterculture. The Titanic sinks. 1,517 people die of the 2,200 passengers. Two miles away was the Californian, whose captain and crew heard the distress calls. And had they responded when they heard the distress calls, history shows us that maybe no one would have lost their life. 58 miles away was the Carpathia, When they heard the distress calls, they immediately changed their direction. And they moved in the darkness of night in iceberg-filled waters as fast as they could. They pushed the ship to such a high speed that they risked their own lives going through the iceberg-filled waters. As they were making the 58-mile trek... The captain took the cafeteria and turned it into an expanded infirmary. He called every crew person on deck to say, here's what you will do, here's what you will do. And they turned their ship into a rescue mission. And in the annals of history, the California goes down as the ship that stood still. Because it was unwilling to be inconvenienced or disturbed. While the Carpathia goes down. With medals of honor for their bravery, their sacrifice, and their willingness to change their course and respond to the need that was right there in front of them. I think we have in those two ships, the Californian and the Carpathia, two types of churches. And with the distress signals coming out of our local community of hearts breaking and lives being crushed by the evil of the day and the distress signals coming from people groups around the world who do not have the Bible, who do not have safe drinking water, who do not have adequate medicine for preventable diseases, when we see those distress signals, will we say, Do not disturb! Or go ahead, Lord. Disturb us. Inconvenience us. Inconvenience, our budget, inconvenience, our time, inconvenience, the use of our talent. Lord, Lord, disturb us. Oxygen is energy. And for the athlete, we will tell the athlete to drink a lot of water. Because the water is part of replenishing the energy it puts Oxygen in the bloodstream. The oxygen, the life of the local church is in its ministry of mercy where it's willing to be inconvenienced and disturbed. For that which seems like it would be a distraction and it would take from us and it would cost a lot in time and money is really that which is going to put the power and the life in the church. Because when the Bartimaeuses begin to join the church, it changes the atmosphere. My challenge to you as a follower of Christ is, will you say, Lord, if in any way I've hung up the do not disturb sign, forgive me, and Lord, please disturb me. And let's be a church, a corporate church that says, Lord, disturb us, inconvenience us. Let's pray right now. Lord, I thank you for the presence and the power of God. Deal with us, please, so that we have a living faith.